Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On a dark, cold, wintry night, I like nothing more than encasing myself in the hide of a bear that I hunted using my uh, bear hands, and then starting a fire using all my enemies before drinking a hot cup of revenge. Uh, But obviously, that's a bit tricky for some of you to do, and I am all about universal ideas that work for everyone. So instead, uh, if you've got a cold bum and seek some comfort for yourself or loved ones with cold bums, then why not head to British-Boxers.com for their range of luxury casual wear, what is all made ethically and by properly paying people and doing all the stuff that I wouldn't even have to mention if the world was a better place and everywhere was run by nice types. But it's not, which is why I must seek revenge. Sorry, but... As it is, uh, British Boxers are a great company to support, not just because they're lovely people, but also because their jammies are well nice, as are their nightshirts, undergarmentals, and they've even got a section called Kids and Pets, which obviously sells clothes for kids and pets, not actual. Luckily, by having ears of taste and listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off any purchases at British-Boxers.com by using the code PARPOLBRO15! So go do that right now. Or you could hunt a grizzly and destroy a cartel. But, I mean, to be honest, it is a lot of work. It's quite tiring. Ethically, very dubious. Maybe just buy some nice PJs instead. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that isn't scared of the whips and can, in fact, eat a six-pack of them in one go without much effort. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and this week, as Conservative MPs accuse the party of blackmail, racism and rule-breaking, I mean, yeah, did you not Google them before you joined? Jesus, I do more research buying things on eBay. 16th century French Renaissance writer and man who, according to many of his portraits, had a penchant for wearing a roadkill feline on his head, Francois Rabelais, famously said that with time, all things are revealed. Which isn't entirely true, as there are things that will never ever be explained, no matter how many years pass. Like, why people enjoy watching James Corden, who invented worms, or why do I continue to use Twitter, even though I'd have more fun pushing kumquats into my eyes. But for some things, like the current British government, old Rebelais is spot on. Perhaps that's due to the insight he was given on them by wearing a dead cat on his head for quite so long. 
Last week, we discovered that for most of 2020 and 2021, the entirety of Number 10 Downing Street has been constantly off their tits at parties, or for some ministers, constantly on other people's tits. There's barely been a sober moment despite all the sobering moments the public endured, and suddenly so many things make sense that didn't before. Of course deals were handed to mates who owned pubs and reckoned, yeah, I can make PPE, it can't be that hard, can it? Of course you can't see your nan, but you could help out by eating at Nando's. And of course there was no money for ventilation in schools because it all had to be spent on a big boat you could get drunk on. These are, I'm afraid to say, almost certainly decisions I would have made on day four of drinking an entire fridge worth of booze and Freeport smuggled top quality gack. This week though, things have started to make even more sense. Why has it seemed like the country has been run by a bunch of people who quantum leapt into bodies they didn't know and had to muddle their way through a series of instructions they'd never seen before? Well, it turns out it's because absolutely no one in the Conservative Party seems to have had any idea about who the Conservative Party are or what they do and has had a terrible shock since they've all found out. MP for Wielden, Nusrat Ghani, who always looks like she's just been told off for talking in class, has said that she was sacked as a minister because a government whip told her her Muslimness was making her colleagues feel uncomfortable. What? Not the Conservative Party with their impeccable record on dealing with Islamophobia, like when the uh, the Prime Minister and what if Dougal from the Magic Roundabout had gout, Boris Johnson, said, um, you remember, he said Muslim women in burqas look like letterboxes. A statement that was not only racist, but always made me wonder why the letterboxes he used had eyes inside them. I mean, that is that is creepy. But if you remember that article in which Johnson made those comments and Islamophobic incidents then rose by 375% in the week after it was released, do you remember? Do you remember it was so swiftly and comprehensively dealt with a whole year and a half later when Johnson said he was sorry if anyone felt offended by it, but his writing in itself wasn't offensive. Blam! Take that racism, move over to another seat, Rosa Parks, for a new anti-racism hero is in town and will stamp out any hate speech by making sure the people who feel threatened by it aren't listened to and therefore it stops being anything anyone should worry about. Et voila, no more racism. Uh, Then of course there was the mayoral campaign by stupid face drawn on a concave ruler, Zach Goldsmith, who claimed his rival and champion of the cartoon Quiff, Sadiq Khan, was friends with terrorists. But then Goldsmith apologised by saying he denied harbouring anti-Muslim sentiments. Blam again, there's that racism taken down by him saying he just didn't actually do any. And what about when Lisa Tarbuck Tribute Act Baroness Saeed Awasi, yes, I swear they're the same person, look at pictures, it is uncanny. Remember when she gave examples of Islamophobic comments she'd had directed at her and said it was endemic in the Conservative Party and the Muslim Council of Britain called for an external inquiry submitting evidence of 300 cases cataloguing alleged Islamophobia to the Equality and Human Rights Commission and then they said, wait for it, they said, just after investigating anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, they said, yeah, wait for this, that they wouldn't be investigating any of it as it wasn't proportionate. Blam! Which is exactly why this revelation by Nusrat Ghani, which is no doubt grim to hear about and does make me keep thinking the word Muslimness sounds like a Scottish lock, it just raises the question of what party did Ghani think she joined in the first place? Had she arrived from another Britain in the multiverse where the Prime Minister Joris Bonson had not targeted Eid telling people not to celebrate with family in May 2020 while just days before he was no doubt wearing nothing but a union flag while doing tequila shots off a portrait of Thatcher? Well, it's hard to say, but questions also have to be asked about what party MP for Hazel Grove, William Ragg, thinks he's part of. Ragg is a so-called senior Tory backbencher despite only being 34, but then you look at his face like the ghost of a Victorian schoolboy who died while taking a shit, and you go, oh yeah, that actually makes sense. 
He's one of a number of MPs who've accused Number 10 of trying to blackmail them and bribe them with funding if they voted in the right way, which for everyone else in the country is usually the wrong way, unless they meant far right way, which actually makes quite a lot of sense. Ministers were allegedly told that if they didn't vote against the actual leader of the opposition and footballer Marcus Rashford's call to extend free school meals, they wouldn't get funding for new schools in their area. A weird playoff, because that would mean they could have the school, but it would be full of hungry kids, or the kids could eat in theory if there was a school to give them school meals, but then there wouldn't be. It's very much a conservative version of a would-you-rather type question where you lose either way, and neither option is as fun as having eyebrows that crawl round your face or leaving a trail of paprika wherever you go. This must have been such a horrifying surprise for Rag and the other MPs to realise that over a year after it happened that they'd been blackmailed, which is just unheard of in a party where the Home Secretary bullies staff and people get peerages for handing out free holidays. The MP for Bury South, Christian Wakeford, who I have no doubt is a fan of Ready Player One and gets angry in defence of it, crossed the floor last week, leaving the Conservative Party to instead join Labour. A very smart move, as his views of targeting migrants, enabling tax avoidance and stopping measures to prevent climate change, whilst echoed by the Tories, were unlikely to be acted on as everyone was constantly drunk. Whereas the opposition provides an alternative vision for the country by also supporting those policies, but being far more likely to carry them out as they're a bunch of lightweights and won't party as much. Wakeford crossing to Labour is one of those events that makes everyone lose, as it's not really a great look for the Conservative Party if their own MPs have no faith in them anymore, but it's also not really a great look for Labour that if you vote for them, you still get the Conservative Party. You wonder why we have different parties at all when we could just have an amalgamated blob party where you throw your vote in a bin and it doesn't really matter what it says on it, you still get someone whose main aim is to privatise the NHS and both tell everyone Britain is the greatest country, but also insist that absolutely no one should come and see it. It poses many questions, such as why, for example, former Labour leader and shrew Jeremy Corbyn is not allowed to be a Labour MP, even though he's still a Labour Party member, because his comments on the ECHR report, when they bothered to do one on Labour, were part of the problem, even when he apologised. But a Conservative MP can be a Labour MP, even though he's not a member, and had only recently referred to the opposition party as, and I quote, a bunch of cunts. I don't understand it as I don't make the rules, but the lesson here is that I don't think anyone does, and much like the rest of us, British politicians are just making it up as they go along in the hope that absolutely no one has access to the internet or, in fact, any sort of memory. It's just that to qualify as politicians, you see, you have to be worse at creating viable reasons or policies than the average person or child or pet. Christian Wakeford in 2020 co-sponsored a bill in Parliament that would mandate by-elections for any MPs that defect, so it's lucky he can't even remember things from two weeks ago, or that would be embarrassing and he'd have to unseat himself. At least now he'll be able to do Islamophobia in his new party if he fancies it, as they actively reinstate members who do that there, like Trevor Phillips. Take that, Tories, there's a proper opposition here. One thing Wakeford does remember, though, is that back when he was a Tory MP, so many days ago, he was one of them that got threatened about school funding by then Education Secretary and what happens if you leave someone in a bath of Tipex for days on end, Gavin Williamson. Imagine being threatened by a man who once used the term hard power seriously, keeps a pet tarantula called Cronus and looks like at any moment he might be blown over by a strong breeze. But then maybe I've misjudged him and maybe Gavin Williamson is being pipped for a knighthood because his failures are so hilarious that he could reduce enemies to tears while they piss themselves laughing at him and his very presence could just crumble thousands. 
The Prime Minister, of course, says he hasn't seen any evidence of blackmailing in his own party, but it's not certain if he means at the party as in Conservatives or just one of the many he's been attending. Also, he is someone who hasn't got a clue if he's at a party or not while actually there, so I'm not really sure we should be relying on him to be an eyewitness in the first place. I'm pretty sure you could burgle Boris Johnson's number 10 flat without him having the slightest clue anything was happening if you just stuck Coco Melon on the TV and handed him a Capri Sun mixed with gin. Another story has come out about Johnson having a birthday party thrown for him at number 10 and then in his flat during the first lockdown in June 2020, so I suppose he'll say he isn't aware of what birthday parties are and he can prove that by having never attended any of his kids. The big question is whether or not the Met Police can refuse to investigate this as it's not a retrospective crime when, as we know, birthday parties are all about the present. And of course, it was a surprise party, which, as we all know, could just launch themselves at you without any prior warning and then you just have to take part. Again, it's very hard to know just how to view the current Prime Minister, as the eternal question of is he a manipulative liar or just an unbelievably stupid man-baby is very hard to answer. His defence against yet more allegations of number 10 parties was that nobody had warned him that the drinks event was against the rules, the same rules he made and enforced on the rest of the country. Could it be that he needs someone at every step of the way to explain exactly what everything in his life means? Or maybe he'd just be in constant trouble? And if so, why are we so unlucky as people that during his childhood there must have always been some idiot kid around to tell him he shouldn't step on the rail tracks or don't eat that silica gel? Bloody shame. Tory MPs continue to call for Johnson to resign, including man composed entirely of fluff from the inside of your pockets and former Brexit Secretary David Davis, who in true form both insisted the Prime Minister should go, but also said he won't be calling for his resignation. David Davis is forever a character from the Mad Hatter's party and must spend his days upsetting people by telling them he should attend their meeting in person while also insisting he won't be leaving his house. Conservative MP for Wickham, Steve Baker, who will always insist he can do one more press-up than you, even though he gets ill trying to open a packet of crisps, he said that it is checkmate for Boris Johnson, and he would know as he's known for rounding up rebel Tories in yet another example of what can only be described as party-wide cluelessness. I mean, I wouldn't follow Steve Baker into a shop, let alone a coup. He's the sort of man who'd tell everyone he knew the way out of the woods, and a month later you'd still be gnawing on bark and deciding it was now just best to live your life as a squirrel. What does checkmate mean for a Conservative anyway, who I imagine play chess by only using the white pieces, handing out as many knights as they like, ignoring the Queen and treating the other side as pawns? Or did Steve Baker mean checkmate, as in now is the time Johnson would just be handed even more cash to push through policies with even fewer questions about it? Sue Gray, whose name could only be more appropriate for her role if it was a double-barrelled surname with area, could publish her report this week if she can keep up with revelations. But Education Minister and wow, Egbert's aged badly, Nadim Zawahi, says now that only the findings of the report will be released and absolutely none of the details. See, the issue with allowing the government to decide what is and isn't seen in the report, well, aside from the corruption and the sheer lack of transparency, is the chances are Johnson will read it, not remember a single thing that took place, and just think it's a story about someone else who attended a party that he admitted going to but also didn't attend. The Met Police stationed at number 10 have apparently given some extremely damning evidence to Sue Gray, but it seems not damning enough for them to investigate or interfere with the parties themselves. You almost wonder if just everyone in government has been hypnotised and controlled by David Davis. 
Former chief advisor to the Prime Minister and poor caricature of Phil Collins, Dominic Cummings, has said that he's refused to speak to Sue Gray for the report as the Prime Minister will just lie about it and that actually more stories are going to come out after it's been released. Which then begs the question, will we still have to wait for the report in order to get the stories about the parties that are spoken about after it's happened? Or will all of Boris Johnson's memories return in one big go once it's published and will that be quite devastating for him when he realises how many children he's completely forgotten? The Chancellor and failed origami creation Rishi Sunak has started to distance himself from the national insurance increase that was in his own budget, by now calling it the Prime Minister's Tax. A very smart move as there's every chance that Boris Johnson won't remember if it's his or not. It is worth asking though what Rishi Sunak actually does as Chancellor if he doesn't make the tax policy, but maybe he's not aware exactly what his job is and besides there's no one else around to warn him so how on earth would he know? I should say that David Davis is also now opposed to the tax rises, but that will likely mean he continues to vote for them. Besides, Rishi Sunak has decided to interpret his job role differently as someone who now rehabilitates criminals by proxy by writing off $4.3 billion in fraudulent Covid claims. Still, these people only took money they weren't entitled to, so it's nice that Sunak has given them a second chance to not do it again, you know, if there was another pandemic, as it's that sort of faith in people's ability to reflect on their wrongs that could rebuild a wholesome society. Imagine their joy at finding out they don't have to pay it back or go to prison, and maybe they'll repay that kindness by doing charity work of their own, like, say, using that money to donate to the Conservative Party or giving the Prime Minister a free holiday. And anyway, it's not as if they did a truly heinous crime like slightly overclaiming child benefits so their kids can eat or protesting for their rights in a way that annoys someone. Jim Broadbent character Lord Agnew has resigned from being the government's anti-fraud minister, criticising, as he said, their lamentable track record in tackling fraudulent Covid claims, which he said he couldn't defend. Well, actually, that's his fault for being aware of what's going on. If he was a true government minister, he'd have spent his days wondering who and where he is before occasionally transferring money to people in his contacts list. Luckily, the government can now get someone on board who'll do the job properly, and my money is on either Sue Gray, someone Matt Hancock went to school with, or anyone who's most recently donated thousands and thousands of pounds so Boris Johnson can get a gold beanbag. Even though that would cause an awful lot of confusion for his wife Carrie, as she has to try and work out why there's now two of them in the flat. Culture Secretary and woman who so dense she makes Osmium feel underconfident, Nadine Dorries, is insisting the BBC licence fee freeze will stop extra pressure on the wallets of hard-working households. Yes, great, as nothing will help people get through their lack of food or heating, like knowing they won't have any TV to watch either. Making sure the £159 a year fee doesn't increase while taxes due and universal credit is cut is like forcing someone to carry boulders up a hill and then adding to it with several more large rocks and removing their packed lunch from their bag in order to help lighten the load. The Department of Culture, Media and Sport have also closed the BFI Young Audiences Fund, responsible for making so much of the best children's television in Britain, so at least now your kids won't be distracted from not having any food either. It's funny, because I was certain that Peppa Pig World had provoked thinking about UK creativity. Hmm. Meanwhile, Transport Secretary and man with all the value of a fart in a plastic bag, Grant Shapps, has unveiled his big progressive policy of removing train announcements asking people to put their unwanted newspapers in the bins. Yes, finally, it's just what we've all been crying out for and now there is no doubt the people will be rejoicing. It's funny though, because Shapps says announcements like that aren't at all necessary or needed and yet, if Boris Johnson was on that train and no one told him to throw his unwanted newspapers into the bin, how would he know how to do it? The Prime Minister's next train journey could now involve him being absolutely covered in newspapers, head to toe, 50, 60, 70 unwanted newspapers like a veritable walking fire hazard. Yeah, actually putting it like that does make removing those announcements far more appealing. Fair play. 
While Shaps is removing train announcements no one gave a shit about, he's also not doing anything at all about the huge lorry queues along the A20 in Kent, as post-Brexit EU checks are causing long delays. Then again, I suppose, the government are just stopping extra pressure on our bullets by making sure we have absolutely nothing to buy anymore. None of this is joined up thinking, but that's because I guess it's barely thinking in the first place and is more regurgitation of the first words they can think of and the sheer hope absolutely no one will ask them any questions about it. Then again, what else are they meant to do if they aren't sure who they are, what they're doing, what their job is, what party they're in, and absolutely none of you selfish bastards are going to warn them that it's not okay beforehand. In other news, Russia are once again making moves on Ukraine like that guy in your DMs that just won't get the hint. The Russian government say they aren't planning to invade, but they've also amassed 100,000 troops along the border, so, I mean, why else are they there? Is it the world's biggest stag do? Are we just unaware that there are that many troops along all of Russia's borderlines and they're all going to hold hands for a lovely aerial photo? I don't know. US President and paper mache sculpted over a deflating balloon, Joe Biden, is expecting an attack from Russia. But what may stop them is Boris Johnson warning them that that would be disastrous. It's hard to know if actually that is a warning or a message of kinship to Russia that they may do something quite as damaging as he has. Johnson has also said that he might put forward some economic sanctions on Russia and they must be terrified that they won't be able to deliver all those things to the UK that lorries won't be able to collect anyway. What is Johnson going to do? Only pay them £1 million for a media room this time? Hmm. The Foreign Office accused Russian president, who always looks like someone you confront in a 90s first-person shooter game, Vladimir Putin, of planning to install a pro-Moscow figure to lead Ukraine's government. But the former Ukrainian MP that the Foreign Office have suggested was being used by Russia, Yevhen Murayev, responded by saying it was a stupid idea and he's not even allowed in Russia he'd be arrested. He then said that he had no idea why the Foreign Secretary, who's the only person who'd weigh more if she lost her head, Liz Truss, why'd she say that and said, I understand she's new. Hey now, Yevon, I think the least you can do is be impressed that she knows where Ukraine is and that she hasn't yet asked you for a selfie. Last Monday night, the House of Lords defeated the piece of legislation that would give the government the power to ban any protest, calling it draconian and anti-democratic. Great, thanks guys. Now all you've done is sell it really well to the government who'll clearly just put it back in when it returns to the Commons. You should have said it was woke and they'd have scrapped it in an instant. All Plan B COVID restrictions are to end in England on Wednesday and restrictions are being eased in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Scottish First Minister and human version of the flag of Monaco, Nicola Sturgeon, said that they're hopefully seeing Scotland on the downhill slope. Well, I hope it doesn't slide all the way and then crash into England or they'll likely all catch COVID offers and have to close the nightclubs again. And lastly, case study for the Dunning-Kruger effect and former Worst Health Secretary Matt Hancock was snapped in his latest attempt to claw back any possibility of running as a Tory leader by swimming in the Serpentine Lake in absolutely freezing weather. The series of pictures are the sort of thing you'd show someone with a sex addiction to immediately cure them of ever feeling horny again. I think Matt Hancock only went outdoor swimming in January because he misunderstood two years of hearing about high figures for ICU. ICU, get it? No, you're right. I mean, that is a stretch. But look, I'm still proud of it. Oh, God, it's so grey here today that I'm almost waiting for it to release a report. It's like the sky has been filled with images of John Major. How are you, Parpole Brods? I hope you're doing okay. I hope you've uh, also made it through uh, approximately one-eighth of January. All all right. I'm pretty sure this month goes on for at least another 24 weeks now. Is it 24 more weeks of January? I think so. Uh, me? Well, thanks for asking. I am fine, Tar. Um, I have not been doing much. I did some sort of writing work last week uh, that without sort of giving away what it was, never done it before. And um, it was for people that didn't even really want to explain what it was that I was doing. And every day I'd just be doing this writing uh, that I sort of thought I'd just had a go and then I'd hand it in and then after three days I went yeah that's perfect 
was like, was it? I still don't really know what it was. It was weirdly invigorating. It was like a sort of real-life version of a puzzle game. Uh, and it's given me weird confidence that maybe I don't need to read instructions anymore. I can just have a go at stuff and muddle through it. I mean, it works for the government, right? If no one tells me what I'm doing is wrong, then it's not my fault, is it? Cue next week when there's no podcast, as I've managed to saw through my own leg while electrocuting myself trying to rewire a kettle and cut a table at the same time. And that is a joke, of course, because I rent a flat. So when there's something wrong with it, we let the estate agents know and then we tell them again a year later and then again a year later and then we have to move out. It's a great system and it works really, really well. Um, uh, not much to say this week. I've had to pull out of the Leicester Comedy Festival in a few weeks. So sorry if you were one of the one people that had already bought tickets to that. That's not true. There were three people. I hadn't actually been plugging it. I didn't I didn't mention it on last week's show because I had a feeling that due to some other work, um, I might not be able to do it. So well done me for pretending no one was coming on purpose um, and not because they were never going to. Um, but I'll try and do a live partly political broadcast again at some point, maybe. I don't know. Is that something you want? Um, last year's I did at the Leicester Comedy Festival online and that was really fun. Um, but I am also certain that actually seeing my face made it less enjoyable for a chunk of you. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's something anyone ever wants. Live podcasts? Is that sort of ruins the point doesn't it um i haven't done any live shows at all really stand up or otherwise since early december now um which is partly because i've had other work on like confusing writing puzzle things but also uh, i think my brain has slightly melted and the thought of trekking out at night in this weather to shout half written gags at people i don't know while catching omicron doesn't really fill me with joy but i hope to get back on that horse soon um the live gig horse and then of course i will leave the horse outside as you can't take them into most comedy venues um and i will let you know uh, on this when i am doing some live comedy again uh, there's no other admin this week other than not on this week's show um, there's an interview with no middle interrupting bit from me yeah I thought I'd try that out um, it's only a short chat so see how that feels um, if you think actually this really needs me popping up in the middle to explain something badly you can of course pause it and just listen to this bit where I explain this bit badly so I hope that works out for you but let me know what you think it hopefully makes for a shorter, shorter punchier podcast so uh, just say cheers loads to Matt Atkinson for joining the Patreon in order to to gain the incredible hearty monthly rewards of nothing but the satisfaction that you've done a very nice thing and hey look if you need to tell others about that very nice thing you've done so they too give you immediate gratification about your kindness then i am i am super cool with that you go for it uh, big thanks also to connell claire spacey james and sinetra for fueling my coffee needs at the Kofi page um if you wish to uh well just give me money i suppose in return for all the work i very occasionally put into this show then you can do that at Kofi ko-fi.com forward slash parpol bro or by joining the patreon com forward slash bro and if you donate enough i might give you a peerage i think that's how it works um in fact i should probably change my patreon reward systems shouldn't i to match that of the government sort of ppe contract peerage and knighthood maybe the thing is i won't be actually be able to give you those things which sort of ruins it i could i could do something close i could let you do some pe i could give you a sort of you could peer over a wall at something i could find a nightcap for you it's not not sure it's the same and of course, if you can't donate, uh, which totes fair because this thing is free, um, then please do give the podcast a nice five-star review at Apple Podcasts or other such sites. And generally, just tell people it exists and they should attach their ears to it. And thank you to all of you that tweeted about this show coming back last week. It is much appreciato. I don't know if those are real words, but it sounded nice. Um, on this week's show, as you'll find out in a minute, I chat to Rose Whiffen at Transparency International about corruption. Yes, that is timely. I know. And um, there is, of course, no corruption on this here podcast. Well, unless you download it wrongly. Odds. 
It's really unjust that when files get corrupted, they just won't open and your computer freezes. And yet, sadly, when a democratic system gets corrupted, Parliament still opens and carries on with little care that nothing is working how it should. The British government is currently as transparent as a black hole, but the big difference between the two being that if you entered number 10 and got sucked in, it'd be a sense of morality that was stretched beyond any recognition. Free holidays, funding for anyone Johnson slept with even though no fee could really compensate for what they had to go through, gold wallpaper, lunchtime development deals, towns funds for colleagues, media rooms built by Russian companies for millions that then aren't used, PP deals for anyone Matt Hancock has in his phone book, billions for a broken phone app for anyone in Matt Hancock's favourite lists in his phone book, which incidentally didn't include his ex-wife, knighthoods, peerages, government appointments, and the list goes on and on, even longer than number 10 spreadsheet of who to send party invites to. Or the Prime Minister's list of offspring. Or stuff made Dorries gets brain freeze from trying to understand it, which includes, in no particular order, windows, grapefruits, the word fuzz and catfish. I mean, it's not a great look when your minister in charge of counter-corruption quits because he can't justify your record. It'd be a bit like a fire safety officer leaving the post because they felt it wasn't quite right that their hair kept catching on fire in the office. Of course, some of those things I've mentioned are merely alleged corruption and wrongdoing, or it's been investigated internally by the people involved in it, and they decided actually it was fine. As they say, the fish rots from the head down, or is it just that no one's cleaned out the tank in ages, because an awful lot of it in the UK absolutely stinks. Although that could also be because they're swimming in poo-filled rivers. It's really complicated. Laundered money is rife in the property market, even in the flats with no washing machines. While dirty money is run through zombie entities, and by that I mean anonymously owned businesses, not Chris Martin from Coldplay. But on last year's Corruption Perception Index, the UK ranked joint 11th least corrupt and is by no means endemic in this country. But does that mean the government wants it to be, will take away all restrictions that stop it from being so and demand that we just have to learn to live with it? This week I spoke to Rose Whiffen, a research officer at Transparency International UK, the UK's leading independent anti-corruption organisation. I asked Rose exactly which of the many recent political stories count as corruption and just what that term means, as well as what on earth any of us can do to stop it. We spoke days before the 2021 Corruption Perception Index was due to be published by the Global Transparency International team, so we didn't actually know where the UK ranked for last year, but it'll be out by the time you hear this so you can pause, check and then make an appropriate face. I should also say there were only so many things I could ask without landing this show in the sort of legal hot water that would make for a very uncomfortable bath, even though I've probably already ruined that by the intro to this interview. Oh, and towards the end, uh, some selfish bastards started doing building work near where Rose was. It's not too bad, though, so just pretend maybe that it's the sound of Transparency International shaking down corruption. Here is Rose. Hi, Rose. I feel it's very timely uh, talking to you um, at Transparency UK this week. There's There are so many things in the news that uh, people online would perhaps reference to as corruption by the UK government. We've had months and months of uh, issues with lobbying and donors possibly paying for flats, allegedly, and uh PPE contracts with VIP lanes and now blackmailing all there's if I listed them all this podcast would go on for a very very long time but what I've wanted to ask is obviously there's a very specific definition of of corruption and and uh, uh, probably a legal definition as well and I, I wonder if you could let us know what sort of political behavior is classed as corruption and and whether or not it's fair to say that our current UK political system is corrupt so thanks very much for having me on the show um great to give a bit more information about corruption. Um, So I would say in terms of what we can define as um, political corruption, so corruption is quite difficult to define and and you could have sort of like whole PhDs which would literally just focus on that, but 
Transparency International's definition is the abuse of entrusted power for personal or political gain. And this can perhaps lead you to think that corruption is very transactional, you know, that money has to change hands for it to be counted as corruption. But, it, you know, it's very difficult to detect um, and it's difficult to have a body of evidence to prove that there is a quid pro quo arrangement, meaning, you know, if you do this, I will pay you X amount of money. And corruption, you know, by its very nature is covert. So perhaps this is not that surprising. And if you look at something like the cash for honours scandal in the early 2000s, which was investigated for criminal breaches, the Crown Prosecution Service stated there was no proof of intent. So no one faced charges in the end. So yes, you know, the things you've described and just before Christmas, we saw some really strong words against the government's behaviour from you know, people like John Major, who, whilst never being a particular fan of the current prime minister, is usually quite mild-mannered. And you had some really stark warnings um, from Lord Evans, who is the chair of the Committee on Standards and Public Life, which is the watchdog that... Um, looks at ethics and standards and you know it's difficult to forget Owen Patterson's behaviour being labelled as egregious by the committee on standards and who were responsible for the investigation um, but in light of you know the problem I've outlined about measuring corruption and it being quite covert one of the ways that Transparency International have looked at this problem is to identify where there are corruption risks and try and measure those corruption risks, you know, and ask the question, you know, is the current administration doing enough to prevent opportunities for corruption in public life? And I think we would answer no. So, for example, our research has found 40 loopholes that can open the door to corrupt activity. And moreover, the Committee on Standards in Public Life released a really excellent evidence-based report which had 34 recommendations and that's just sitting ready to be implemented by government. Um, so, you know, there are opportunities for corruption and, you know, we can say that not enough is being done to close these opportunities. And is there, um, just sort of go to go something specific this week, there's been... Uh you know, allegations of blackmail within Parliament, would that be considered corruption or is that, if that is the case, or is that because that's within, is, is corruption only relevant to things that may affect the public and may affect, uh, you know, society, if, because that's within its own parliamentary system, would, does that, would that not count? It, it would be something that would need further investigation, definitely. I think as many have come out, um, today and yesterday saying if the allegations have merit behind them it absolutely needs to be investigated we do see that the public interest could be being swayed so it's definitely something that needs to be investigated I think it's sort of too early in the day to say exactly what it is at this point in time Sure, sure. Yeah, it's just it's interesting to to as you said to to as the definition can be um uh, quite broad in a sense to work out exactly what we're hearing at the moment in the news is is uh, 
if you go by online social media, everything is corruption. And so it's good to get a sort of more definite uh, idea of what it is. And and I wonder if you could, because, uh, you know, again, uh, the news um, is, is very frequent and, and constant at the moment and has been, especially in the last sort of 10 years, really. But is has the UK... You know, have have we been a, a corrupt country in in general, or or not? Have we generally sort of avoided corruption? I've got a, a memory of I think it was twenty fifteen of the UK hosting a conference, a global conference on corruption uh, and money laundering, and I think yeah. we were the only country, yeah, yeah. one of the only countries that didn't follow through any of the recommendations that we set as a nation to the other countries. I think that was my memory of uh, under David Cameron. Um, so I, I wonder if you could sort of say, you know, how are we as a country in general, and has kind of corruption here increased or decreased in in recent years yeah really interesting question and just for um to give you know credit due where credit can be due um the government did actually introduce some of the recommendations from the conference um yeah (laughs) um um but yeah i think it's an interesting question because we can say that you know, you can go to a doctor and you don't have to bribe that doctor to get medicine, right? We can say that that's true, but it absolutely should not mean that we're complacent about corruption in the UK. And we can be quite good at, you know, pointing the finger elsewhere and saying, oh, look how bad corruption is over there, rather than facing up to our own corruption problems. Um, And, you know, so there's a real danger that we minimize corruption in our own society by comparing it to worse examples elsewhere um but you know corruption can manifest itself in in many ways so if we move away from looking at you know potentially just political corruption and you know as you say what we've seen beings on social, social media all the time um we can also look at money laundering in the UK and that we have you know a real problem with money laundering and accepting dirty money from dubious sources and the London property market is highly vulnerable to corrupt wealth flowing into it research that we've done in our report to billion worth of properties bought with suspicious wealth in London and it's like a fun I like to share is that um Roberto Saviano, who wrote um, Gomorra, which is like a, a non-fiction book about the mafia in Italy. And I think it's now also a Netflix show as well. Um, he stated that the UK has a really big corruption problem because of the money laundering and because so many owners of capital in London have their headquarters offshore, so in like Jersey or Cayman Islands. And I think that's really significant coming from him with that background. Um, and yeah, beyond money laundering, you know, we also know that there's like corruption hotspots perhaps in prisons and at the local level. Um, and looking at whether or not corruption has increased or decreased and, you know, we can see social media and it can give us perhaps like an, an idea of, of an answer to that. Um, but I think there's a good comment from Lord Evans, who I um, spoke of before, the chair of the Committee on Standards and Public Life. So he stated that there's never really been like a golden age in ethical standards. You know, we've had scandals in most decades. Um, But what I would say is that there perhaps seems to be a difference in how these scandals are being handled. 
So, for example, you know, the Sioux scandals in the 1990s, when we had cash for questions. So John Major, the um, prime minister at the time, set up the Committee on Standards in Public Life, apologised and, and called out their behaviour and wrongdoing. And then just to give another example of the expenses scandal, which I'm sure your listeners will be familiar with, um, it resulted in IPSA, the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, being set up, which is um, the body which monitors expenses now. So if we look at the behaviour before Christmas, instead of improving the system, we saw a scandal happen. And then instead of just accepting that one of the government's members of parliament had breached the parliamentary code, the government tried to dig in its heels and use its own mandate to weaken the standards regime. And this is highly unusual, and it doesn't follow the convention that when there's an investigation, it's voted in parliament, and usually there's a sanction. Instead, we saw the government trying to create a new standards regime. Um, and, you know, there have been other examples recently where convention hasn't been followed. So, you know, when a minister breached the ministerial code, but they didn't resign. Um, so I think, you know, if the government wants to show that corruption hasn't increased and, and that it's doing more to address corruption risk, it should be introducing recommendations from the um, Committee on Standards Public Life report I mentioned. And um, that would do more to put more independence in our system and more controls over lobbying as well. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And so I, I want to ask you about sort of how you go about tackling tackling corruption in a second. But I, it is very interesting that you sort of mentioned that, that I think uh, a lot of corruption previously, you mentioned sort of money laundering within the property market. Um, as much as it's been rife and organisations uh, like, you know, like Transparency International have been looking into it and tackling it, it's all been quite 
um, hidden away, sort of covert. It's not something that a lot of people know about. Whereas I think the stories you're discussing of Before Christmas and with Owen Patterson and it's really in your face. And is there, you know, how do you sort of feel like Transparency International? Is 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 it more damaging when it's right there and we can see it and nothing is done about it? Does that kind of, you know, lead to further abuses of power? Or is or is that almost more helpful in that you can see that it's right there and maybe put things into action to tackle it? So I think with the money laundering and... There have been instances where it has come to the fore. So, for example, when we had the scribble poisoning, um, so that then brought up the idea of Russian money in London property market and the risks around that. So... It's, as you say, it's perhaps more a latent problem, which is happening all the time. And then maybe there might be instances. So also, for example, we've seen with the violent protests in Kazakhstan, that's also shown a light on Kazakhstan wealth that's in the London property market and the property market in the UK in general. So there can be some hotspots where that issue does come to the fore. But... You know, if, if you have the right campaigning tactics, either either can work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's just sort of sometimes I, I uh, well, in fact, it's what I want to ask you about next, but that whether or not the awareness of it by the general public makes it easier to deal with it. And, and I think one of the things I want to ask you is, you know, we had uh, last uh, two weeks ago now, the, the High Court ruled that the, the government's use of VIP lanes for PPE contracts was unlawful. Um, and and obviously that was um, just a judicial review. So then, you know, it, it's marked as unlawful, but there's no sort of legal action carried out against them. Is is that still the best way to kind of tackle corruption through uh, the High Court and systems like that? Or are there other, you're talking there about sort of protests and campaigns and, and awareness, is that what what are the best tactics sort of uh, that, that you would say that, you know, what can we do as listeners, really? So, yeah, it's great that you highlight um, that, that high court case. Um, so that is one one way of tackling it. Um, but I would say that the problem that it has is that not all corruption is illegal. For example, you know, cronyism, nepotism, but just because it's not illegal doesn't mean, you know, it's not damaging. For example, you know, most lobbying scandals won't be illegal. there would be a breach of the ministerial or parliamentary code, um, which means that they don't have legislative backing. So breaking them wouldn't be a criminal offence that you could take to the court. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, parties lobbying parliamentarians, it can sway parliamentarians' decisions and, and perhaps sway them away from the public interest. So it's still really important that these non-illegal corruption risks are also given attention as well. And the ways that, um, for example, um, our organisation does tackle these is we do investigations. Um, so, for example, you know, the stat that I gave about money laundering in, in London um, so we'll do sort of long form investigations and long form reports. And that also creates, you know, like an evidence base as well. 
to show these corruption risks. And, you know, something I mentioned um, in answer to your questions is, you know, the difficulty of corruption being this covert problem and it is difficult to measure. So it does take that evidence um, to then, you know, prove to parliamentarians that this is something that needs to change, that needs to change. Um, but we also do coalition and campaigns with parliamentarians. Um, and, you know, one of our research reports was around the, um, the VIP lanes and the, the performance risks. We did a, a research report into that, which found that um, we counted at least 73 contracts relating to COVID-19 where um, over 3.7 billion was awarded and these contracts definitely warrant further investigation and we'll be using those findings to then push whatever COVID inquiry there is and, and using you know, that evidence to, to show that there needs to be change and to also highlight what the exact issues are. So, yeah, so as, as you mentioned, that's what uh, you do as an organisation and that is what the courts can do and what sort of reports and pressure can do. But I sort of just wondered, is there anything that we, uh, I, I said as listeners before, but I mean, I'm not a listener to my own show, that would be weird. Um, but I meant as members of the public, you know, if, if we're not uh, part of Transparency International, not part of a group that can kind of put pressure on parliamentarians, is there anything that, that we can do to tackle corruption? Is there, you know, should it start at kind of individual level, business level, or is that not really something that we can do um so something that really struck me in the fallout of the own passing scandal and the fact that the government did try to create this new standards regime and the fact that they then u-turned on that something that really struck me is that many of the tory mps were saying to those higher up in the Conservative Party and the Whips, we are getting so many emails from constituents, as many as the Barnard Castle episode. And for them, that, that was a real indicator that actually, we don't know if this was the right decision, maybe we need to go back on it. And you know, a lot of <laughs> campaign organisations will say, write to your MP and you're like oh does that really make a difference but when I read that commentary from conservative MPs saying we're really worried about our inboxes and the sentiment we're getting from our constituents I was like oh okay that's really important and that obviously did make a really big difference so if there is a scandal that happens where anyone in the public does think that that's just not right then do write to your MP. I, I actually wrote to my local MP when the Owen Paston scandal happened, um, you know, asking for change and, and recommendations to be implemented. So that would be the main thing that I would think of. It does actually work. It's really exciting. And it's, you know, this past week, as well as we've seen with whatever the future of the Prime Minister is, it, lots of people have been writing in. It does, yeah, it is, it is the thing I think you said, every single campaign goes right to your MP and you sort of think, oh, is it worth it? But it, does it, I think if they if they know that people would like change, there is possibility. I was going to say it just it just sort of serves as like a barometer, doesn't it, of how important the public find the issue. Yeah. So, and is is there um, 
you know, cause you, you mentioned Transparency International as as a group. I, I know that the uh, obviously you're international. You're part of the UK branch, but you're a big international, uh, you know, organisation. You deal with corruption all over the world. Um, and and I know that the Corruption Perception Index for 2021 was just released. And I wonder if you could explain what what that is and and what it means and 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 what it tells us. Yeah, definitely. So this is the Corruption Perception Index is perhaps one of the original like flagship outputs of transparency international movement so it's an index which measures the perceptions of corruption so it doesn't necessarily measure the exact levels of corruption it's the perceptions and it's a survey of surveys to gather those perceptions and it gives each country a score of how corrupt that country is, um, and then a ranking as well, and it comes out every year. Um, and you know, if for example, yeah, your listeners had a particular interest in one particular country, they could have a look at how that country is faring in terms of the corruption perception index. They could find out a bit more about it, see how it's moved across years as well, um, and it's. The CPI sort of was sort of a, a flag, as I was saying, sort of like a flagship output, which really put corruption on the map, um, you could say, because until you start trying to measure it, as hard as it is to measure, and perceptions is not the most perfect way of measuring it, but at least it's one way. And it just sort of like puts corruption on the map as something that we can talk about and and raise awareness of. Thanks so much for your time, Riz. And and just the last question I wanted to ask you is that, you know... um... Just with that, it's what I ask every uh, interview on the show with the hope of kind of furthering information, in the, apart from yourself and Transparency International, obviously. Um, which writers, websites, books, you know, wh- where do you go for for info in transparency and tackling corruption? Who would you recommend that listeners check out? Um, yeah, great question. Uh, it's great to highlight other people's work as well. Um, so an organisation which we work quite closely with, I would definitely recommend having a look at is Spotlight on Corruption. They're great. Um, And then in terms of um, academic world, the Sussex Centre for Corruption, really, really great resource. They've got some really knowledgeable academics working there. For example, um, if you're interested in finding more about party funding and political donations, then Sam Power is your guy. Um, And also from the Sussex Centre of Corruption, Liz David Barrett is a specialist on state capture as well. Really interesting blogs um, and opinion pieces coming up from her as well. Then if your listeners are interested in very sort of like technical, maybe um, constitutional issues, then the Institute for Government just have fantastic resources. They, you know, if sometimes it's like a really thorny constitutional issue, I don't know the exact detail I'll go to their website. They've got some great explainers. Um, can be really, really detail-oriented, but sometimes that's maybe what you want. Um, and then, you know, to, as we were speaking about procurement and, and the PPE procurement, if um, there's interest in, in that in particular, then the Open Contracting Partnership, perhaps. And then maybe just two books to highlight. So Oliver Buller, wrote a book called Moneyland, so that's about money laundering. Um, And then there's another good book 
from Peter Gligan from Open Democracy, um, which is called Democracy for Sale, Dark Money and Dirty Politics, um, which is a really great read, yeah. Oh, and also, you know, as I was discussing, we've got chapters all around the world, um, offices all around the world. So if there is a country who you feel you want to know more about and corruption in that country and, and how TI are tackling it, then check out the website of our websites of our individual chapters, so like Transparency International, Sri Lanka or whatever the country of interest might be. Thanks so much to Rose and also to Rachel at Transparency International for helping to arrange it. Um, you can find the UK branch of Transparency International at transparency.co.uk and the international website at transparency.org. They are OVS on all the social medias too and the 2021 Corruption Perception Index will be out on Tuesday this week so by the time you hear this um, you can have fun crying or laughing about where the UK is on the list or if you're an international listener potentially just sort of feeling smug or worse. I mean, it'll depend on where you are and I have no clue what it will say but I'd hedge my bets that the Principality of Sealand does okay. If you'd like to follow Rose too, you can find her on Twitter at Rose underscore Whiffen, that's W-H-I-F-F-E-N where she posts lots of stuff about her work too. Who next? Um, I'm still not getting many replies from people. I don't know if there'll be an interview next week. I'm trying. Um, so all of your tip-offs about potential guests are much needed. If possible, as I mentioned before, it'd be great to talk to people with even the vaguest bit of optimism, but uh, as I'm not sure they exist, anyone who I could talk to who can explain or discuss political issues I haven't covered on this podcast or need an update on, any of that would be great. Um, drop me a line, happy with any sort of line, squiggly line, straight line, diagonal or other, as long as it comes with the recommendation for a guest too. And you can send that to Partly Political Broadcast at gmail.com and that's all for this week's partly political broadcast um cheers for using your king lears to give it an earwig and if you didn't enjoy any of my bowler hat chat then why not spread the chuffing dicky bird oh god why would i do this to myself it always seems like a good idea when i start and then two sentences in i just sort of think talk properly you idiot Uh, just tell people you like to tune in and subscribe give the show a nice review on one of them podcast sites and if you can afford to sling me some bangers and mash for making this by joining the patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or buy me an Everton toffee at ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro I'm off to regret my porridge knife choices Arthur J Shanks to Acast my brother last sceptic and cat day and this will be back next week when all the ministers in the cabinet resign after realising exactly what it is that they do and declaring that it's not very nice before then taking jobs in other ministerial positions assuming those ones are different as absolutely no one explained otherwise bye this week's show was sponsored by the book of conservative chess moves featuring the civil servant sacrifice where you blame everything on your pawns the absolutely no end game plan where you play without caring about the consequences the queen's apology where you apologize to the other player for something you say you haven't done the brexit gambit where you insist you've won even when you haven't and of course the johnson defense which is where you claim you didn't even know you were playing chess in the first place the book of conservative chess moves showing you how to whitewash any game if you pay enough money to the right people Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.